This is a crisis. This is an institution that has zero accountability to the rights of the people. And this is no time for preaching about the importance of the rule of law, you know, which the right wing just makes up as they please. Um, and no time to tell us, you know, oh, just go and vote because the system, you know, works if you just go and do that. That process has given us a, you know, a Trump presidency and now a Trump Supreme Court. This is the BAM Podcast, Episode 5, Defend Abortion Rights by Any Means Necessary, No Business as Usual, to Defend Roe v. Wade. Contact BAM to organize walkouts, marches, and to create no business as usual to stop the Supreme Court from overturning abortion rights. Visit us at bamban.com. And join our Discord. The link is on our website. More ways to contact us at the end. What follows are presentations from BAM's May 7, 2022 tribunal, days after the Supreme Court's planned opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade was leaked. BAM's tribunals are national organizing centers for leading and building the mass movement for equality. These presentations give BAM's analysis of the Supreme Court decision, the crisis of the Democrats, and a plan of action for leaders of the new mass militant integrated civil rights movement to defend abortion rights and defeat the Trump-led far-right movement to attack democracy. Shanta Driver has proven to be a true civil rights leader. She has been a leader for over 50 years, starting as a Black Panther as a teenager. She graduated from Harvard University and from Wayne State University Law School. As a founder of the National Women's Rights Organizing Coalition, or NROC, she spearheaded successful struggles in the early 1990s that kept abortion clinics open and defended women's right to abortion nationwide. As BAM's national chair, she applies a scientific method of analysis to understand history and intervene in ongoing current struggles. Whether being one of the few Black women attorneys ever to argue at the U.S. Supreme Court defending affirmative action, or whether in immigration court stopping deportations, or leading marches and rallies in the street, Shanta Driver leads by example. I'll just say one thing, which is on the on the draft decision itself that was issued, um, which may be a part of Neil's report, but um, it is one of the most ridiculous, dishonest, and shameful decisions that I think has ever been issued by a U.S. Supreme Court. And it really heralds a period of reaction that is um, equivalent to Plessy v. Ferguson, um, which upheld separate but equal as um, the uh, defense of segregation in 1896. The, the decision is um, pretends to be based on some type of legal precedence and um, spends a lot of time talking about why um, a woman's right to be able to control her body and to be able to obtain um, abortions is not something that's protected by the Constitution, which... Um, <laughs> which is, is slavery was protected by the Constitution. So what is and what 
is not protected by the original drafting of the Constitution is just completely irrelevant. And, um, and the whole tone of the decision is based on the inferiority of women and second class citizenship of women. There's, um, and so the first on the constitutional argument, it's just not true. Equal protection of the law means a woman having the equal right to control her body, to protect herself as any man in the United States. And that is part of the fifth and 14th amendments. And um, so obviously that part is untrue. The, um, and, it, and it goes at great lengths to try to justify why that is true. The, the second just legal point that's made continuously in the decisional two um, is one that, um, that there was a period of US history when virtually every state had laws that prevented um, women from getting abortions. And um, in almost every single one of those state laws, if, um, if a woman had the consent of her physician or recommendation by her physician to get an abortion, she was allowed to have it. There was no absolute ban on abortion in almost any state in the United States. That's just not true also. This is something that this, this decision of this court goes way beyond what existed in any state law in any period of US history, not any state law. And there are a couple that are as reactionary, but very, very few. And the final thing is that it goes through a long, long discourse on um, common law, on what existed in the law in Britain um, and in the United States, the laws of Britain are usually seen as something that was transferred to the United States um, through something called the common law, which is law that was established by um, precedents, not by statutes or constitution. And, um, and it talks about um, different laws that prevented um, uh, or right, outlawed abortions um, if the child was, if the fetus, excuse me, was um, at the stage of being quickened. And what quicken meant in the law was as close to viability as anything that we know of today. A, a child, or, I keep saying that, I'm so sorry. A fetus was not um, able to be described as quickened um, unless it was moving in the woman, um, it was developed and develop, continuing to develop. Um, it was something that um, the woman could, in many instances, actually feel. So around six months um, in inside of her. Uh, and so even those laws, which it cites, that are supposed to justify um, the uh, overturning Roe v. Wade now, because it was based on not on the Constitution, not on common law, all of that, all of that is just a lie. I I think that this is um, probably the most significant legal turning point that we've um, seen in certainly in the lifetime of most of the people on this call 
in terms of negative decision making. It is um, worse than anything in the last 50 years. And it means codifying into law um, second class citizenship for women, um, the, um, the right of, um, of this nation to be able to ban a woman's right to control her body, to determine her destiny. And, um, and the decision is unequivocal. There are no situations based on this decision in which it is as a matter of national law um, all right for a woman to um, be able to get an abortion. If you're raped, doesn't matter. If it's incest, it doesn't matter. If your um, life is in danger, it doesn't matter. If any of the, the you know, if you're um, 13 years old, um, it doesn't matter. There's, there's absolutely nothing left in place for the protection of women as, um, as, a, as a matter of federal law. So um, I agree with Yvette very much. I do think that this is something that can be defeated. And, um, and I think that to me, the main issue is there, it, it seems like there is, and Yvette will know more about this than me, a uh, march that's being called for Washington. Um, certainly we have to get everyone down to Washington. If um, the march on Washington is as big as the one after the uh, inauguration of Trump, and there are literally a million to two million people in the streets of Washington, D.C., then the, then the real question is how many of those people can stay and how long can we keep Washington, D.C. shut down? Because that will be the difference between winning and losing. It really means that we are in a direct contest for power and, uh, and we have got to assert the popular will of the people in this fight in order to win it. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Yvette. Shanta Driver's presentation was followed by another by Neil Lyons. Neil Lyons is an organizer with BAM. He has committed his life to the fight for equality, civil rights, and immigrant rights. He is a dedicated student of science and a graduate of the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. During the pandemic, he began a rigorous study of the science, economics, and politics of COVID-19 while making use of the history of previous pandemics. He possesses an uncanny ability to convey complex scientific and political phenomena in a way that is at once coherent and practical. Most importantly, unlike most public health officials and politicians, he is unwavering when it comes to speaking the plain truth. The movement for equality and justice can be proud to call him a leader in its ranks. I'm not going to talk for too long because I know we have um... Uh, real actions to to take part in today. Um, that's the the important reason why we're starting an hour earlier. So, um, but I do want to cover a few things. Um, I, I think three main points, two of which um, I'll 
two of those points we will not be unique in making because there's a there's a lot of people really angry about the um you know about this leak and about what it would mean um but there's only uh one point where we are going to differ from everybody so i want to go through what those are um what uh you know, that was just uh, starting with, you know, this is a major crisis for the Supreme Court's legitimacy. The, you know, the halo of its prestige and, you know, its, you know, supposed reverence for the Constitution and all of the things that those institutions are supposedly, you know, uh, there to mean and the, you know, their relationship to democracy. Um, you know, the Supreme Court has lost its legitimacy. Uh, this is an extreme overreach. And as, as Shanta said, this is so much like a Plessy v. Ferguson decision. Um, you know, it, it has that, you know, state governments have the right to be tyrants over the people and people have no rights over and against their own government. Uh, it, it is thoroughly in that tradition. Um, it is, you know, uh, it, it has that kind of, it has that kind of social significance. Um, and, uh, and we are far from the only people saying that this key institution of uh, the American government has lost its legitimacy. And that's an extreme thing to say. Um, but at the moment, um, and I, I think it is, you know, a kind of momentary thing for a lot of the elite, there are a lot of major voices making that point. Um, that is, that's not a mild point to make that an entire institution of your own government is illegitimate now, it has no real authority. Um, you, you could even call that a revolutionary point. Um, but for the moment, it is something that uh, uh, you, you can find just about everyone. You know, just share a few examples. This is uh, a copy of the leak, but um, Someone in the Guardian saying, uh, "Is America still a free country? Um, what happens when the public loses faith in the Supreme Court um, on, under the heading Supreme Court legitimacy crisis?" Um, another uh, opinion piece: the Supreme Court's legitimacy crisis is here. Um, Another opinion piece uh, in Slate, so the Supreme Court's legitimacy is already lost. Um, well, it's, it's very clear um, to anyone looking at this immediately uh, that this is a broken system. Um, you had so many people uh, just a short time ago, saying to us, uh, you know, after Joe Biden became president and Trump was gone, 
everyone was saying to us, look, this means the system works. This, uh, this means the institutions held strong, um, that the, the insurrection on January 6th, you know, uh, didn't, you know, didn't shake the foundations of our democracy or anything like that. And well, what are they going to say now? Because the Trump insurrection is embedded in the Supreme Court. This is Trump's court and there are no checks and balances within the institutions of government for whatever that court says. This is a court just making up their own laws. Uh, and, uh, you know, overnight uh, overthrowing, uh, you know, close to 50 years of precedent um, and returning to a, um, uh, you know, returning to a Plessy style of law that uh, was supposed to have been done away with, uh, you know, in the last century. Um, you know, that is, uh, and it goes so much against any, you know, uh, any democratic sense of popular will, any, any you know, uh, you know, any kind of sense of protecting the, the rights of the people against abuses of government, um, that uh, it, is, it is not even recognizable uh, in, in the tradition of what, what people think, you know, like the words of the Declaration of Independence and, and all of that are supposed to mean that, um, you know, the, the people are supposed to have rights to live their lives and make their decisions. And the government's job is to protect those rights and not to, you know, uh, to be, you know, tyrants over them. And uh, um, so, you know, this is, uh, this is the neo-fascist movement showing itself embedded into one of the core institutions of the US government, um, you know, on a sexist rampage um, that, that threatens any number of other rampages. Um, and, uh, and business as usual, the normal functions of government have no remedies for it. These justices are appointed for a lifetime and, uh, um, you know, it would be such a terrible mistake to treat, to treat this court as having any kind of legitimacy, um, which, which would mean, you know, empowering this kind of insanity for decades to come. And uh, the, the Trump uh, appointed justices are relatively young 
as far as Supreme Court justices go. Um, and uh, there, there is no reason why an entire generation or more than a generation of American people should have to accept that kind of unchecked tyranny, uh, you know, uh, count, you know, counter to all, you know, democratic process and, you know, all notion of rights. Um, there, there is no reason now for anyone to accept this Supreme Court as having any authority to, uh, to tell any of us um, what we can and cannot do with our lives. And, um, and it is very necessary for us to build a power that can be counterposed to that court and uh, to the rot that is showing in these government institutions. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to this point in a moment. And another point, um, but, you know, and, and obviously these are radical things to say, um, but this is a particular moment in which, you know, even, you know, kind of major publications and major figures feel the need to say them. That will be temporary. Um, and I want to warn people about that. Um, there's another point that uh, people are saying that uh, uh, we in entirely need to warn about and is true, that will also be a temporary point of theirs, which is that this decision threatens so many other rights. Um, when the Supreme Court decided Roe, um, they uh, decided it on the basis of uh, uh, a right to privacy, that citizens have, um, have a right to make private personal decisions uh, uh, regarding all kinds of things, one, one of which being abortion. But this right to privacy is also the basis on which uh, uh, many other uh, uh, many other legal rights uh, are are standing now, like uh, gay rights, um, things like the right to gay marriage and trans rights, um, even uh, the right to have access to contraception. Um, laws banning contraception were overturned on ex the exact same legal basis as Roe v. Wade. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, quite correctly, um, let's see, if I, you know, just as, as an example, um, you know, there's uh, there's a number of articles, this being just one of them, over just how many different uh, how many different rights and norms in American society can be under threat um, if you uh, if you you know just take that kind of 
privacy right out from under them. Um, and, uh, you know, probably the, if I can just scroll down to um, one of the more obvious quotes. Um, uh, a number of people are countering what uh, Alito wrote. Alito is trying to give assurances that, you know, this only affects abortion and nothing else. Uh, Alito writes, we emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right, and that nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. Um, uh, given this statement, uh, the same weight that should have been given to Alito's scolding of the press shortly after the court's shadow docket decision on the Texas abortion ban and his assistance that it had no bearing on Roe and did not nullify the right to an abortion in Texas. Alito's word means absolutely nothing. Quote, this is total gaslighting. He knows as well as anyone that these other rights are like Roe, rooted in the right to privacy. If Roe is imperiled because it is unenumerated and not rooted in our history and tradition, then those other rights are also subject to challenge, Melissa Murray, a law professor at NYU, said of Alito's disclaimer. Conservative lawyers are going to eat this up like catnip, and of course they are going to challenge these other precedents. Um, so this should be a call to action uh, for everyone who has been uh, you know, fighting around all of the don't say gay bills and you know, what a number of commentators are calling you know, very mildly a culture war. Uh, it's much more than a culture war. It is uh, the, the deliberate building of a neo-fascist movement based on bigotry, based on hatred, based on that chest thumping you know, sense of superiority of uh, a, you know, a white male racist section of the population that feels the need to assert itself and, and their battle cry is to degrade and you know, diminish the lives of everyone who, you know, who isn't them, to go after immigrants, to go after women. They don't care. They want to gratify their rage. In many ways, um, the issue of abortion and the, the issue of Roe v. Wade shows just how flexible their bigotry is. Um, after the civil rights movement really cemented uh, a number of, of gains and, a, um, and some tremendous progress in, in American law and American society, the far right didn't feel that they could make a frontal assault on Brown and Brown v. Board of Education and, and attack the gains of the civil rights movement um, in a direct way. And, and so the creation of the religious right and the, the sudden you know, promotion of the issue of abortion as a new fanatical right-wing cause uh, was like a spontaneous substitute 
to switch over from their, you know, their racist campaign, you know, in favor of segregation, uh, which, you know, having been, uh, having suffered defeat um, for that time, they would jump over to, you know, their, you know, their cause of sexism and misogyny and, and make a fight around that. And so it was, um, it was when the far right was building uh, the attack on abortion clinics with uh, things like Operation Rescue that you also ended up seeing uh, a new wave of uh, Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazi groups. Um, they are, you know, they are entirely flexible and improvisational when it comes to the kinds of bigotry that um, that they you know feel the need to promote, and um, that that should further highlight the importance of BAM in this and the perspective of uniting the struggles uh, against racism, uniting the struggles against sexism, uniting the struggles for gay rights, and um, and building a united movement of and for the oppressed, um, movement for the rights of young people, led by young people. Um, the things that are, that are completely unique about BAM are, are the things that are most needed in, um, in confronting uh, the improvisational character of the far right and the fact that they can and will jump from one issue of bigotry to another, to another, to another um, uh, in, uh, in what's more than just a culture war, but, uh, uh, but a war for who, who really controls the nation and, and who really controls our future. Um, but um, so in, in spite of the fact that there are a lot of people who are saying these, um, these very radical points in you know, mainstream publications that the Supreme Court's legitimacy is shot to the ground and that you know, this is a very big far reaching moment that affects so many issues that, you know, this touches on everything that that uh, uh, we've been fighting around and having walkouts around with, you know, all of the uh, don't say gay bills and and all of that. Um, there is a third point that none of them want to make, and that point concerns one question. What is to be done? What do you do about this? What can be done about this? And their only answer to that question is, well, just vote in November. And because they, um, they cannot reach a conclusion that this requires a mass independent movement. 
they cannot reach a conclusion that all the people need to have real power expressed, you know, with their real selves that, you know, these, you know, these ancient time-honored institutions are not the expressions of the people's power. Um, uh, this is, um, this is where we have to draw our line. Um, for the politicians, uh, this moment is simply an opportunity to campaign for more votes. Um, what good that will do, they cannot tell us. Um, and in in many ways, uh, you know, a, a lot of, you know, I, I, in 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 a meeting the other day, I compared a lot of the Democratic Party campaigning to, um, you know, those crane machines that you put the quarters into and the little crane is supposed to pull out a stuffed animal. Only, you know, those little grabbers never actually grab onto anything and you never win anything. And you just have to keep putting in more quarters. And that's, that's kind of like the Democratic Party we have known for generations. You know, you know, oh, there's these wonderful things we want to give you, but you just need to keep putting in more quarters and giving more, you know, more votes, but you will never actually get those things. Um, and that's just, that's just an unacceptable norm of American politics in a situation like this. Um, uh, and the, the problem is it treats this as a business as usual situation, which it is not. This is a crisis. This is an institution that has zero accountability to the rights of the people. And um, this is no time for preaching about the importance of the rule of law, you know, which the right wing just makes up as they please, um, and no time to tell us, you know, oh, just go and vote because the system, you know, works if you just go and do that, and why why it works, um, or how it works, they they can't tell us because that process has given us a you know a Trump presidency and now a Trump Supreme Court um, and has thrown all of American life into complete disarray and madness. Um, this is a broken system and um, the, the problem is because their only answer that they can give us is just go about business as usual and do the normal, you know, civic participation thing of voting in your local election and voting in, you know, the national election, because they can only give us the same old answer to, you know, everything. That means the other points that they're making that seem very left-wing, they are going to have to turn their back on those. If your only answer is legitimate participation in a legitimate process in a business as usual way, 
they're going to have to tone down their rhetoric criticizing the Supreme Court. And they're going to have to tone down their rhetoric about what else is at threat and start making promises. Oh, don't worry, it's, it's not going to be that bad. And, um, and on the other side, because um, they are so committed to that business as usual mode, then they, all they want you to do is just you know, the work within the system, do what the system allows you to do, which is you know, put in a little vote every now and then. Um, um, that, and since obviously all of that would have to wait until months from now, until November, um, long, long after, the Supreme Court decision would be finalized, and it's supposed to be finalized, you know, at some point next month or so. Um, that means they also have to treat this leaked opinion as a done deal that we don't have the power to shake up now. Um, and And that's a point that we also need to be unique in making. Um, because, yes, the, these Supreme Court justices are fanatics, and they want to reign over absolute tyranny, and they want to roll back decades upon decades of you know, rights of all kinds of people. Um, but they also care about one thing that we can threaten. They care about their power. And they care about their positions of esteem, their lifelong appointments. Um, and yet there's an entire movement of people out there that no longer has respect for this institution no longer has respect for uh, the idea that you have these, you know, lifetime appointed superpowers who have no checks and balances on, on what they decide, uh, can make up what they think is a right or what they think is not a right. And, um, and in fact, you know, they, they do legislate, they do govern and they, um, and they do so, unlike any other kind of leadership, they do so as as almost a, uh, a you know a clergy or a Vatican wearing you know their medieval costume party of you know flowing black robes and you know all of this insanity is as if they are. Uh, above law, above society, above, you know, above everything um, in the, the most, you know, undemocratic, the most monarchical way, uh, as if they, you know, and, and so much of that mystique is built around one notion, just built around the notion that these are, you know, wise men and 
until recently has almost always been men um, who are impartial, non-political, and you know are able to divine the real meaning of the Constitution in a way unswayed by public views. And of course, all of that is, you know, complete horse excrement when you can see that, you know, everything this court is about is about a bunch of, you know, Trump appointed political hacks having their, you know, having their, you know, moment of, you know, disgusting glory, um, having breached the walls of the institution, you know, the, you know, the mob on January 6th only breached the walls of the Capitol for so long, but Trump's appointees to the Supreme Court have thoroughly breached the institution and they're still there. Um, and uh, none of them should feel secure that they are going to stay there for all that long. Because generations to come cannot tolerate that kind of usurpation of, you know, of the people's rights and, and the people's will. Um, you know, Susan, uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, two of the, you know, supposedly moderate Republican senators, um, as a self-defense, as a way of defending their own integrity, had to say, oh, you know, when when these, you know, Supreme Court nominees spoke to me, they they gave, you know, they gave me no sense of this. You know, this is entirely, entirely surprising given what they told me and what they told Congress. And okay, you know, this is just them covering their behinds. But obviously what they are implying is these political hacks in the Supreme Court lied to them and lied to Congress. Why are they being allowed to stay there? Why is this being treated as rule of law, you know, business as usual, you know, let's do things by the books? Um, nothing, you know, nothing about this uh, should be treated as business as usual. And, uh, you know, that was one of the main points that that BAM was making uh, when Trump was elected as well. We should not be treating this as a normal presidency. We should not accept this as business as usual. Um, we should not accept this as legitimate. And we need to build a power counterpose to that. Um, but um, but that means that we need to counter something um, that uh, that is really embedded in liberal thought uh, and actually really dangerous, uh, which is that traditional liberal thought tells us that democracy and the institutions of government are one and the same thing. And they're not. And this was a point that um, uh, that we had to make uh, after January 6th, and it's a point that's worth reiterating now. Um, 
I mean, just go back to share screen. Um, um, after January 6th, we put out uh, a, um, a flyer whose title is No Union with Fascism, um, in which we set out a, um, a program for, um, you know, really to define our relationship to the, the politics of the moment and, and, and what was really going to be needed uh, uh, over the course of the coming years. Uh, we were not going to simply be joining in with the crowd of commentators saying that, oh, the election of Biden means that the institutions, you know, they work and the system, you know, is sound and democracy is protected. Um, no, we need to to point out the the dangers that come along with a you know a neo fascist movement, and that uh, <clears throat> it uh, it would be completely wrong to treat <clears throat> the institutions of government as the remedy to those dangers. Um, and so, I just want to read the last section of this. Um, of this flyer that we that we put out, um, because uh, because it is communicating our attitude towards uh, questions of democracy versus you know the you know prestige of the institutions that name themselves democratic. Um, so this section is called the House Divided. Before the US Civil War, the motto of the abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison, no union with slaveholders, was an argument against forming any government that protected slavery. It was therefore a demand to dissolve the union. However, President Lincoln in his fight to preserve the union in the midst of the war, gave a more profound and powerful meaning to the idea for a democratic union without slaveholders. On January 1st, 1863, Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And on that date, the war to save the Union became a war to end slavery. The cause of democracy itself had become synonymous with the cause of abolition. Today, this nation has arrived at a similar crossroads. American democracy cannot long survive while clinging to its foundation as a white man's republic the emergence of a fascist movement makes this painfully clear. Waves of immigration are changing the United States and Europe. Millions of people from every neo-colonial outpost in Latin America, Africa, and Asia are running for their lives, seeking refuge in the very nations that are responsible for de destroying their homes. These waves will only grow larger as the econ economy further destabilizes, and as the global climate crisis further threatens human existence. The international crisis presents a choice of only two roads. First, the United States and Europe can embark on a path towards social equality, towards a plan for saving human lives all over the world, towards solving the greatest challenges that humankind has ever faced. Or second, the imperialist nations can attempt to cling to their crumbling towers of wealth and status, boasting with drunken reverence for their imagined superiority while the world drowns in its own blood. 
Between these two roads, there is no middle path. But nevertheless, moderate and liberal politicians all over the world keep looking for a magical compromise, a truce between the pro-authoritarian and the pro-democratic tendencies that will somehow allow their nations to return to business as usual. In the United States, the incoming Biden administration has emphasized its priority of healing our social divisions and reaching across the aisle towards the Trump forces that have attempted to overthrow democracy. In response to Biden extending an olive branch, the fascist Trump followers will break that branch and use it to attack Biden. The fact is that business can never return to usual and that the world cannot move beyond its present problems until those problems are solved. Politicians and media pundits are also mistaken in believing that saving the institutions of the government is equivalent to saving democracy itself. Quite the contrary, those institutions are what allowed Trump to gain power in the first place. The institutions of the Electoral College, the Senate, the courts, the gerrymandered districting, and the systematic disenfranchisement of non-white voters. All of these factors proved to be among Trump's greatest assets. Every ounce of power that Trump had gained, the height to which he rose above the law, these were the gifts imparted to Trump by the very institutions and the constitution that he disdained. In contrast, the US constitution provided very limited options for removing Trump from power, while its institutions offered little to no protection against Trump's authoritarian abuses. Democracy is not a law or an institution or even a voting process. Democracy is the power of the great mass of the population governing society in its own interests, free from the despotism of a wealthy and powerful elite who would seek to rule over them. Some of the greatest expressions of democracy in history, such as the civil rights movement led by Martin Luther King Jr., were made by people who could not vote. And some of the worst examples of tyranny, including Mussolini and Hitler, ascended to, to power through a legal constitutional process. It is impossible to understand that history when viewing it through the narrow lens of constitutional law and institutional grandeur. During the summer of 2020, a mass civil rights movement marched through the streets demanding justice for George Floyd and all victims of racist police violence. That movement expressed the most democratic virtues of the American people, inspiring the whole world to join in the demonstrations. It was the most powerful denunciation of Trump during his entire presidency and was a bold confrontation against the government institutions that have systematically protected the ability of the police to murder black and brown Americans with impunity. That movement, speaking with its own voice and built upon the human desire for justice rather than the institutional decree for order, possessed a more democratic character than all the institutions of government and all the words of the Constitution. To defend democracy, that, that new civil rights movement must mobilize in the streets again. 
our movement is the only power that can lead the way out of the crisis. Four years ago, Bam made the following statement about the task of our movement in history, which we still endorse today. Abraham Lincoln once said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He spoke these words during a crisis in which the nation could no longer sustain the contradiction of being the land of the free and the home of slavery at the same time. 100 years later, the nation had to resolve the contradiction of whether it represented the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or the nightmare of Jim Crow. Today's contradictions are now strained to the breaking point, testing whether we can survive with the Statue of Liberty in the harbor and the militarized wall across the southern border. Both visions for America cannot endure. One must prevail and overthrow the other. And in spite of the cleverest compromises of American politicians, they can never make the House stand half slave and half free. Our movement is not responsible for holding up a divided House. Our task is to build the struggle for freedom, equality, and democracy as the only solid foundation for our future. And to put things another way, this House has a big wall that needs to be knocked down by any means necessary. And those are the politics that we need to bring into this situation. This is a moment to call into being uh, a new movement for women's rights, for gay rights, uh, for the rights of immigrants. And, and we need to uh, provide an entirely different leadership to the fight for women's rights than what we saw during the Trump years. Uh, many of us went to Washington, D.C. for at least one of, not more than one of the, you know, supposed women's marches. And, um, you know, um, there is a real problem in the politics of so many of these organizations, which are just fundraisers for democratic politicians. These are not fighters for the rights of women. They, you know, they are just what you call special interest groups. And many of us were there in Washington, D.C., uh, handing out flyers to what appeared to be a virtually all-white women's march in a majority Black city. Um, and you cannot fight against oppression that way. You just can't. The far right will attack everyone. They will attack women. They will attack minorities. They will attack immigrants. They will attack gay people. They don't care. They want to attack everybody. They want to thump their chests and show how superior and powerful they, they think they are. Um, we cannot afford to have uh, these, you know, itty bitty turf issues where you have on, on the one hand, an all white women's suffragist movement like you had a century ago and, and then, you know, uh, civil rights 
over by itself in its own corner and and then um you know goodness knows a hundred years ago you know any anyone fighting for gay rights was you know not going to find anyone you know joining on on in that struggle and uh and everyone has their own tiny little turf only defending themselves um and uh one little identity over here another little identity over there those can't be our politics we all experience oppression and inequality in some way. We all experience attacks on our rights. And the only way to fight effectively around that is if we have each other's backs and fight for each other. And that's why BAM exists. It, BAM may seem like a strange organization. You know, some, some may wonder, well, what, what does abortion rights have to do with immigrant rights? And what does that have to do with police brutality? And, and you know, and you look at the range of, of things that are on the BAM website and they might ask, what does any of that have to do with COVID or, you know? It's because this is how you have to fight against oppression. And you, you cannot leave each other hanging out to dry. Um, in, you know, I, I, I don't want to be overly morbid, but since we are talking about the presence of a neo-fascist movement, um, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about one of the lessons that was learned from uh, the one time in history where a fascist movement did uh, arrive in power uh, roughly a hundred years ago. Um, many people know that the famous quote, you know, first they came for the communists and I did not protest for I was not a communist. And then they came for, you know, and, and all of that stuff. Um, you know, in the concentration camps, um, when people were, uh, or rather in the death camps that uh, ended up being created after the uh, concentration camps had been around for a while, uh, they came up with various methods of, you know, disposing of large numbers of people at once. And one of those methods was gas chambers. Um, and, uh, um, and when the guards would open up the gas chambers to clear out the bodies, uh, they would find a number of people in there who never knew each other but they died holding on to each other, just holding each other. And in a completely unfeeling way, cleared out those bodies holding on to each other, 
and then brought in the next group of people. And then in the next group of people, you would see people holding on to each other. And if there is any lesson that should teach us that waiting for the fascists to be in power is too late to be holding on to each other. And we need to hold on to each other right now, fight for the lives of people, fight for the rights of women, fight for the rights of gay people, fight against racism and police brutality, and make absolutely clear, we are going to be a movement that has each other's backs. We are going to be a younger generation that fights very differently than the older generations ever fought with their petty little turfs and their refusal to join with each other. No, we are not going to be uh, a, a, you know, movement divided against itself, uh, worshiping at the altar of the institutions that are oppressing us. We come together and then we are the real power. And those institutions then in that situation look small and weak. And those men in their silly robes are just a handful of bigots whose words should mean nothing towards governing our lives and our futures. And so this is a time to fight, and this is a time to fight seriously. Um, and this is not a time to accept business as usual. This is not a time to be told that our only answer is the same answer we have been told every single time you know, show up to vote, keep, you know, keep putting your quarters into the machine while we keep giving you nothing. No, this is not the time for that. If there's, you know, if there has ever been any moment where it is clear that this is a broken system and something more is needed, this is that moment. The rot is in the institutions themselves and we've got to clear it out of there. And if it can't be cleared out of there, then we'll dump the institution with it. Um, and that needs to be our attitude. And, you know, and this is how we have to fight. This is the time to hold on to each other, fight for each other, fight for ourselves and become the power that we want to see in this world. We need to be the power that we would regard as a legitimate authority. We need to be the leadership that we would regard as a legitimate leadership. And, and that is absolutely necessary. Um, and it is, it is time to make clear to, you know, you know Trump's neo-fascist movement, no, this is not your moment in history. You don't get to repeat what the tyrants before you have done. You know, this is going to be our moment in history. And uh, as, as desperate as it, is, as it is, as much as, you know, it would seem that all of human life is, is threatened in any number of ways. Um, you know, some, sometimes in the darkest moments, the, 
the brightest movements emerge. And um, and so that's that's what we need to be. Um, and uh, there, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I you know, you know, be, before this decision you know came, I, I was considering making my next report about um, the doctrine of um, mutually assured destruction in uh, the use of nuclear weapons. Um, and uh, you know, I, I haven't stopped thinking about that, but um, you know, the, this is uh, you know, this is a moment where uh, you know a lot of young people who uh, are treated like they're nothing are are going to have to become everything, and uh, and I think. Millions of people are waking up to that reality, and uh, so now is the time. Now is the time to fight, and uh, um, and we're going to be doing some of that today, as you know, after this meeting concludes. So I'll end my report there, and uh, and let us uh, get on to our next item of business. The main thing that two things that I wanted to say are this: we're going to need our folks in Baltimore to be um, absolutely um, on top of, hmm, here we go, on top of, um, of organizing now. You are in the place where it is absolutely possible to get student walkouts, to expand what you've been doing into the Washington DC area to organize broadly and what you do now can have a profound effect on history. We really need you in, in Montgomery County to come together and to organize and to get those walkouts going now because you can do it, you have done it. We know you can do it. And we know that in the past they've been or organizing around immigrant rights in Montgomery County and in the DC schools. This is a do or die moment. And you guys have already had your dress rehearsals. You've done this. So I know that you can do this. And I know that you understand how absolutely vital and critically important this is. If we get high school students in Montgomery County and in DC to walk out, that will spread to college campuses. There's no doubt about that. They will be inspired by what it is that you have been able to do. And it will spread nationally. When the fight first began around COVID and trying to get virtual classes, and um, to, to shut down in-school classes, Montgomery County played a leading role. And that's how we first connected with each other. You guys connected with BAM and how we connected with you. And then in the fight around um, stopping the anti-gay legislation and anti-trans legislation, you guys, again, were in the forefront of that fight. Well, this is your moment now. You have the power 
to take hold of history and change things. And I think that it's going to be just so, so important for us to be able to mobilize you guys into, into struggle. You have a specific strategic role that you can that you can play now. So I don't know who's on the call, but I do know this that um, you know I think that we have to be, and I am certainly committed to um, talking um, and doing anything that we can um, as BAM to provide the support and help that we need that we can to make these mobilizations happen because I think they're absolutely critical to winning. The second thing I, I wanted to say is I, I think the Democrats look like complete, utter crap. Everybody knows this could have been stopped. Everybody knows from the very beginning of the Biden administration, the call was out there to Biden, put more justices on the Supreme Court. Everybody knew that, first of all, the president has the right to do that. And second of all, that if that wasn't done, then there was no way that this court was going to uphold Roe v. Wade. This shouldn't be a surprise. This isn't, this isn't something that was unexpected. This was something that was known. This was going to happen. And the Biden administration refused to do that. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen a Democratic Party senator, Joe Manson, say, oh, I don't want any type of federal legislation that is in favor and protects abortion rights through a federal law. He's already declared that. And just to give him a little bit extra backup, Biden has reasserted his position that He's not against maintaining the filibuster. So what are we talking about? We're, we're talking about the utter failure of the Democrats. What would anyone be voting for them to do at this point? For years and years and years and years, the Democrats ran on, on two central points that were able to get the votes and support of women, of uh, Black and Latino and immigrant communities. One of them was support the Democrats because then we could get a Supreme Court that would defend Roe v. Wade. Well, the Democrats are in. They control the Senate. And none of that took place. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no reason whatsoever to have the slightest bit of faith that they will do anything at this point. It really is on us. They've revealed their incapacity to defend women's rights, to defend lesbian gay rights, to defend immigrant rights, to defend the struggle that has been ongoing in this country since the 1950s for Black equality. They've already shown that they can't do that. And there's not a reason in the world for us to harbor any illusions in them. This is, this is, I so agree with Neil, this is our moment. And it's our moment because we're all that's left. We are, the, we are, you know, we are the, um, 
the one force, the um, expression of popular democracy that can win. And we're the only things out there. And if anybody had any illusions in any of these other first, as Neil was saying, in the institution of the Supreme Court, that's gone. But anyone who can maintain any illusions that the Democrats will solve this for us, that should also be wiped out off the agenda. It's ridiculous to think that at this crisis moment, with a month away, this decision is going to come down probably at the end of June because it's considered to be one of those blockbuster decisions that the Supreme Court likes to leave till the end of their term, which ends in the beginning of July. We have the time. Biden had the time. He could still put justices on the Supreme Court. He could still see that this is defeated. And I think that um, that to for that to have any chance of happening is dependent on our mobilization. I feel that we have two levers that we can pull. One is make it clear to the Supreme Court that they just become um, a completely extinct dinosaur of an organization that is disrespected, that has no uh, uh, ability to assert its legitimacy anymore. And I think if we're mobilizing broadly and we're able to bring out hundreds of thousands, millions of people into the streets around this fight, then we present to the Democrats, we present to Biden the same challenge to to try to reestablish the legitimacy of his party, of the Democrats in this fight. And okay, I don't know what we can do around the Supreme Court because they are so far out of it. But I do know this, that from the standpoint of um, of, a t- of trying to maintain the, their vestige of legitimacy, a mass movement in the streets fighting could shift things in a direction with the Democrats that could make it possible for us to win this. No, we have no confidence in them. And I'm expressing no confidence in them. But I am saying this, if the choices are our having power, our taking power in this society, or the Democrats and the people who back them, those really rich billionaire business people holding on to power, if there's a crisis that's created, it can prompt those business people to tell the Democrats, hey, hold on to abortion rights, okay? Don't make this our last stand. Make a concession. Allow a reform to take place that is about to be snatched away. And I think, I think on that basis, we can win. This has been the BAM Podcast. The movement needs leaders. It needs people to join BAM. Follow the BAM Podcast, visit BAMBAMN.com, and join us on our Discord to build the movement. We are on Facebook 
at facebook.com slash page. Our YouTube is youtube.com slash nationalbam. We are on Twitter at followbam, on Instagram at joinbam, and on TikTok at joinbam. Thank you for listening. <laughs>